0: turning your bibles to 2 Corinthians chapter 3 this morning we'll be looking at chapter 3 verses 7 through 11 to get a little bit of the context i'm going to start reading in verse 4 so we'll read 4 through 11 This is what Paul says in Second Corinthians chapter three, starting in verse four. Such is the confidence that we have through Christ toward God. Not that we are sufficient in ourselves to claim anything as coming from us, but our sufficiency is from God, who has made us competent to be ministers of a new covenant, not of the letter, but of the Spirit. For the letter kills but the Spirit gives life. Now, if the ministry of death, carved in letters on stone, came with such glory that the Israelites could not gaze at Moses' face because of its glory, which was being brought to an end, will not the ministry of the Spirit have even more glory Have glory. This is the word of our Lord. Let's pray for God's blessing upon his word. God, we thank you for your word. And as we come now before it to hear from you, uh, we pray as Moses prayed Lord, show us your glory. Help us to see your glory. In your word. But we also pray uh, more than Moses prayed uh, that you would give us your Spirit to help us to see the greater glory that is in Jesus Christ. And we thank you, Lord Jesus, that you have sent the Spirit and you tell us that his work is to glorify you. And so we ask that right now you would. Give us your spirit, that our hearts would not resist the spirit, so that we may see the glory of Jesus Christ in the new covenant. We pray these things in Jesus' name, amen. Well, I wonder if you truly appreciate the glory of the new covenant. Uh, You know the saying that familiarity breeds contempt and maybe familiarity with the new covenant, the gospel, with Christ, maybe it hasn't bred contempt in you, but maybe it breeds indifference or boredom. You know everything. You've heard it all before, but I wonder if you see the glory of it. You can even think of this past week. Think of your life this last week. You're a Christian. You go through your life. You have things to do. You're very busy. You need to get things done. You tried to live as a Christian. Maybe you tried some Bible reading and prayer. You're working hard not to fall into sin. But did you see the glory of Christ? Were there times this week where you paused and you came to appreciate and realize once again how glorious Christ is and the glory of this new covenant that you live in? The goal of this passage today and the message today is that we would once again be in awe of the glory of God and the new covenant that we would have a real appreciation for it, that we would worship God more because we understand what God has done in this new covenant. We want to look at this passage before we get into verses 7 through 11. Just remember the context of what Paul has been saying. So he has been defending himself before the Corinthians with these false apostles who are leading them astray. And he defended himself in the first two chapters as a man of integrity and sincerity, defending his travel plans because he didn't come to Corinth when he had initially said he was going to do that. And then in chapter 3, we saw a couple weeks ago, he started to defend his ministry. And he said that they were his proof of an authentic ministry. They were his letters of recommendation. They were the evidence that uh, Paul was a genuine apostle because their lives had been changed. And their letters, those people, were, he said, written on his heart. He loved them, he cared about them. That's what validates his ministry. But as he's going through this in chapter 3, he brings up this concept, this person, the person of the Holy Spirit. Because Paul realizes that as an authentic apostle, he can't produce authentic ministry on his own. He can't produce real fruit, but instead it's the Holy Spirit who presents the fruit. It's the Spirit who does the work on their hearts and and makes them these letters of recommendation. Paul is just the messenger. He's just the apostle. He's just the minister who delivers the message of the new covenant. And then, as he's talking about the work of the Holy Spirit, he ends to contrast the spirit which has been sent by Jesus, it's the spirit of the new covenant, to everything that came before, which was the old covenant. And so for the rest of chapter 3, and then he's going to continue this uh, theme in chapter 4, he's contrasting the old and new covenants. He said at the end of verse 6, "...the letter kills..." But it's the spirit who gives life. And so he's continuing with this contrast here of the old and new covenants. The old was glorious, but it's not as glorious as the new covenant that we have now through the Holy Spirit. That's what we want to look at in verses 7 to 11. But he then gives the applications and we'll get a little bit ahead of ourselves. But in verse 12, he tells you the application of of verses 7 through 11. He says, since we have such a hope, we are very bold. We're going to focus on the boldness part next week. But here's what we need to come away with after understanding 7 through 11. We have such a hope. Since we have such a hope... From verses 7 through 11, we can be very bold. And then he gives us another application in chapter 4, verse 1. As he's summarizing all of chapter 3, what's the point of chapter 3? Well, he says in 4, verse 1, Therefore, having ministry by the mercy of God, we do not lose hearts. How does Paul not lose hearts? When he's being battered, battered by physical sickness, persecutions, and shipwrecks, battered by enemies from outside the church, literally throwing stones at him until he almost dies, and now here being battered by enemies within the church that he planted, battered by people that he loves within his church. How does he not lose heart? Because he knows we have such a hope. He knows we have this great ministry. The ministry of the new covenant. How will you not lose heart? As you go throughout your day. Getting battered by your own sin. Getting battered by the world that pushes against you constantly. It's. That you do not lose heart because you realize you have such a hope, the glory of the new covenant. And so let's now look at these verses. We have three contrasts. The ministry of death versus the ministry of the spirit. Then the ministry of condemnation versus the ministry of And then third, the temporary ministry versus the permanent ministry. First, Paul gives us the contrast of the ministry of death versus spirit. Let's read verses 7 to 8 again. Now if the ministry of death, carved in letters on stone, came with such glory that the Israelites could not gaze at Moses' face because of its glory, which was being brought to an end, will not the ministry of the Spirit have more glory? You see here that Paul's making a comparison and a contrast. He says that the ministry of death, or the old covenant, has glory. It's a great thing. It's a great ministry. But he's comparing it. It is not as glorious as the new covenants. Maybe you've had this experience at a store or you go to someone's house. Someone is showing you a valuable item in their house. Let's just say it's a piece of jewelry or, jewelry or something. And they say, hey, look at this. And that's something that you really like and you know a lot about it. And so you're looking at it. You're amazed by this, this rock, this jewel. You know how valuable it is. And you say, wow. But then... They say, oh, but let me show you this. And they bring out something even more valuable. And what do you do? You, you drop what you were looking at. And then you stare at this other thing. And you stare and you talk and you talk about how valuable this new thing is. And it's as if you've forgotten that other thing was even there. You do that at a store. You see one thing and then something else grabs your attention. And you put that other thing down. And now you want this new thing. It's what Paul is saying with the Old and New Covenant. And so as we think about the Old Covenant, we shouldn't think that Paul is putting it down as if it's worthless or or not glorious or not amazing. And we shouldn't think that way about the Old Testament. A lot of Christians think that the Old Testament is pointless, boring, hard to understand, What do you need that for anyways when you've got Jesus? Well, first of all, Old Testament and Old Covenant are not the same thing. Uh, There's a lot of grace, the covenant of grace being played out throughout the Old Testament, the 39 books. But the Old Covenant is is what God made with Israel at Mount Sinai through Moses and the, the laws and regulations and the sacrifices. But even that, Paul says it's not irrelevant to us it's glorious it's just not as glorious as the new covenant because it can't save you so we're gonna spend more time on this first contrast because Paul points out the glory of the old covenant and that glory we'll see it in the other contrast too But you'll see, if you appreciate the glory of the old covenant, you see how amazing it is, and then Paul comes along and says there's something even better. You'll have a better appreciation for the glory of the new covenant that you live in if you belong to Christ. So, in verse 7, "...the ministry of death carved in letters of stone came with such glory..." that the Israelites could not gaze at Moses' face because of its glory. This is talking about God's presence and his glory appearing to Israel. It starts in Exodus chapter 19. God is going to appear on Mount Sinai, and he says, I am coming, Israel, you need to consecrate yourselves And no one needs to come near this mountain. Don't even touch it. Not even an animal. If an animal grazes up to the foot of the mountain, the animal is going to die. Because my holy, glorious presence is coming. So Moses, put some caution tape around the mountain. I'm about to appear. And so then God appears, and he appears in thunder, lightning, lightning. Earthquake, fire to represent the great glory of God. He gives Moses the law, he gives him the Ten Commandments. Moses then in Exodus chapter 24 goes up to the mountain of God and he spends 40 days in the presence of God. Hebrews tells us that Moses basically sees heaven. He sees the heavenly tabernacle and he's told by God to memorize it, copy it down because the earthly tabernacle is after the pattern of the heavenly tabernacle. So Moses gets to be in heaven, essentially, He gets to see heaven for 40 days in the cloud of the glory of God. then he comes down, and he's faced with the sin of the people. He breaks the tablets of the Ten Commandments because they're worshiping the golden calf. So then God calls him up again. Exodus chapter 34. Moses goes up to the mountain, to the presence of God, for 40 days again. And now what verse 7 is referring to is that after those 40 days, Moses comes down the mountain and the first reaction he gets is his brother running away the people of Israel afraid of him shocked confused what's happened to Moses because they look at Moses's face and there's glory shining off of his face Some of you may have seen artwork of Moses, like the Renaissance art. Uh, There's a statue that Michelangelo made of Moses in the Vatican. And if you've seen that artwork, you may have noticed something odd, which is that Moses has horns. Moses has two horns on the front of his head, according to Michelangelo. Why is that? Well, it's because the Hebrew word for shine is also the word for horn. And so many rabbis taught and believed that Moses had these horns of rays that were shining. Now, I don't think you have to believe that Moses literally had horns, but I think what the passage actually does tell us, though, is that it's not that Moses' face was glowing as if there was makeup on his face, and there was like some glow-in-the-dark kind of makeup or something. It wasn't some costume of light that was covering his face. But actually, it does seem like his face was shining, and it was shining so bright that it was as if there were rays, actual rays that people were seeing coming off of his face. And so people could not gaze at his glory. Maybe they were afraid. Maybe it was just too bright to stare at. But this is what Moses is telling us about the glory that... Mo- that uh, this is what uh, Paul is telling us about the, the glory that Moses was able to see. Moses was in the presence of God for 40 days. In the presence of the eternal pure light that was so glorious that the reflection of it caused rays to shine off. Think about the sun and the moon. You know, if you look at the sun, it it looks so bright to you that it looks like the sun has rays. The sun doesn't actually have rays, it's a ball of fire. It's so bright that it creates these rays before our eyes. Now, the moon is reflecting the light of the sun. There can be some pretty bright moons, but I have never seen the moon so bright that it's as if the moon is shining rays. So, if God is like the sun... Think about how glorious, how powerful that light must have been to create rays on the reflection. The reflection of Moses' face. That's the glory that Moses was able to see. But, Paul says there in verse 7, This was being brought to an end. It's not the face of Moses, the shining on Moses' face that's being brought to an end. That's not what Paul is talking about here. The word right before is glory. The Israelites could not gaze on the glory which was, the glory was, being brought to an end. It was the glory itself. The glory of God that was being brought to an end. Not because God stops being glorious ever. But because Moses wouldn't be able to be in that cloud forever. And even if, as some people think, Moses' face shone the rest of his life, uh, even then, Moses was not able to be in the presence of God like he was for those 40 days. And even now, you may have noticed, God doesn't show up on mountains anymore. There is no Mount Sinai that you can go to, to see the glory of God. And with Israel, God would appear in a cloud, but his cloud didn't stay there forever. You can't go to Jerusalem right now and see that cloud of God's glory. It was brought to an end. In Ezekiel chapter 11, you can read about how the glory of God lifts up from the throne and goes step by step out of the temple. And he leaves the temple and he didn't come back until the new covenant came. The glory of God was temporary because it was a ministry of death. God's glory appeared, but he appeared in the presence of sinners. And sinners have no right to be in his presence. And so the ministry of death cast people away from his glory. Or in the case of the temple, God left them. And yet, the Old Testament, through Habakkuk, promises that one day, the knowledge of the glory of the Lord would cover the earth as the water covers the sea. And so this is what we're anticipating as we finish the Old Testament. God's glory has left. It was brought to an end. But how can this promise be fulfilled? How can we come back to be in the presence of the glory of God? And Paul gives us the answer. Verse 8. That ministry was brought to the end, but will not the ministry of the Spirit have even more glory? It's through the ministry of the Spirit. As we're going to see, the Spirit gives life. The Spirit shows us Jesus Christ. And so the ministry of the Spirit has even more glory. But I want you just to think about that. Moses got to see God for 40 days you got to see the heavenly tabernacle but if you have the spirit you get to experience something more glorious you get to experience something more glorious than Mount Sinai where God appears in thunder and fire and earthquake you get the Holy Spirit The Spirit does work to bring regeneration or new birth. The Spirit can give us life, and the Spirit works upon our hearts, as we will see in chapter 4. He shines on our hearts to give us the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. If you're nine years old, and you're a true follower of Christ, and you've been born again, If you're on the other spectrum, 90, I don't think anybody's 90 here, but if you're closer to 90 than 9, this applies to you. If you've read the Bible 50 times all the way through, or you still haven't read through the Bible, if you're an immature Christian or a very mature Christian, you have experienced something greater than Moses experienced at mount sinai jesus says in matthew 11 verse 11 about john the baptist uh, that john the baptist was the greatest born and yet the least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than him he's making the same point John the Baptist still lived under the old covenant. Even John the Baptist, who saw the incarnate Christ face to face and baptized Jesus, yet the least in the kingdom of God has a different experience, a better experience of the glory of God. Because after Jesus died and rose from the dead, he sent his spirit and his spirit dwells in you. The ministry of the Spirit has more glory because, in contrast to being a ministry of death, it's a ministry of life. God doesn't just condemn you every time you come into his glory, but instead the Spirit has given you life so that you are able to live in the presence of God. The ministry of the Spirit has even more glory because Moses' glory was on the outside on his face. But you get the work on the inside. The Spirit shines upon your heart. And it is with you forever. The Spirit dwells in you to always show you the glory of Christ any moment of any day. So, as we look at the ministry of death versus the ministry of the Spirit, the first question that we need to ask for you is, has the Spirit worked this upon your heart? And for many of you who are saved, we can still ask the question, is the Spirit working in your heart to show you the glory of God? Does God have your heart? Are you following him from the heart? Are you following him because you see his glory with your heart and you desire to obey him? Are you a Christian because objectively you know it's true? Objectively you know that it's better to live the right way than the wrong way? Are you following Christ because you see the glory of it? As the Spirit's working in your heart. Well, we see that first contrast. The second contrast now is between the ministry of condemnation and righteousness. Condemnation and righteousness. Verse 9. For if there was glory in the ministry of condemnation, the ministry of righteousness must far exceed it in glory. The Old Covenant had a ministry. Uh, their, the, ministry the word for, there for ministry is where we get the word deacon from. It's the word diaconeo. Uh, it means to serve. That's why deacons are deacons. Deacons are servants. And so what it's saying here is that this ministry is a service that is done for us. The purpose of the Old Covenant is to perform a service of condemnation. You go to your mechanic to do a service for you. You pay him for that. You want to know what's wrong with your car. You go to the doctor and you pay lots of money for the doctor to Uh him to do a service. What's wrong with my body? You go to the dentist. He does a service and he tells you you have cavities. We need the service. Of Condemnation. We need the service of the old covenant. Many people, I think, reject the gospel, not even before they get to Christ, but because they're rejecting the law. That's where it all starts. They don't want the service of the law condemning them. Everyone thinks that they are right in their own eyes. They think that their way of morality is good and they can just decide what they want. They don't care that there is a God out there who has an objective standard. They don't believe that if there was a God that he would be just. And even if he were just, well, they're not the bad people. They've defined bad according to what they desire. But that's prideful. It's foolishness. It's like the person that would go to the mechanic and just argue up and down all day when the mechanic says you need a new transmission and you say, I don't need that. And, and pe- people aren't like that, but they're like that with the gospel. They're like that when you share the gospel with them. They, they put themselves as experts. It's amazing how, how people who hardly have ever read the Bible... Can, can argue with a pastor who's like, studied the Bible for a really long time. It, they know what the Bible says. They know what's right. Because it's pride. We don't have that pride with other things. If the doctor is the expert, you want to know what the doctor says, what's wrong with you. Because your life is at stake. And the ministry of Preaching the gospel is also a ministry of preaching the law to show you what is wrong with you. You need the ministry of condemnation. Even for those of us who are Christians, maybe some of you, maybe there's a part of your life where you say, I know the Bible says that, but I'd just rather not believe that. I'd rather not feel that condemnation for that one sin, because I'm sure God understands. God knows here's what I'm dealing with. No. The law gives you no wiggle room. Even if you are a Christian, you need the service of condemnation to show you, you are breaking the law of God. And so, It is a ministry that is glorious because it's good for us, because when we realize that we have this burden of sin, of law-breaking that we cannot get rid of, then we are prepared for the ministry of righteousness. The ministry of righteousness far exceeds it in glory. We need the law to show us where we fall short, to give us the bad report to show us where we are sick so that we will realize the remedy. But here's what far exceeds it, the ministry of righteousness, the work of Jesus Christ. God gives us the righteousness of Jesus Christ. Paul said about himself in Philippians chapter 3, That as a Jew, he said, I wanted to, uh, he said he left it all. He says that I may gain Christ, gain Christ and not have a righteousness of my own that depends on the law. He tried that. He tried the righteousness through the old covenants. It didn't work. It only condemned him. And so he says, I wanted Christ, that I might not have a righteousness of my own that depends on the law, but the righteousness through faith in Jesus Christ, the righteousness from God. So he says that through faith, it's through us trusting in Jesus and relying upon Jesus, we receive a gift of God's very own Righteousness. Jesus Christ lived a life of perfect obedience. He obeyed God's law. He obeyed the terms of the old covenant. Jesus Christ lived the righteous life. Then he died on the cross as the one who was bearing the punishment for sin for those who had broken his law. So Jesus was righteous. And yet he was condemned, taking the curse for the unrighteous. So that through Christ, you might have the righteousness of God. Receive this by faith. Giving up your own attempts of righteousness. Realizing your condemnation before God. Calling upon God to save you through Jesus. So, have you been to Moses and gotten his services of condemnation? Just like you go to the doctor and go to the mechanic, you need to go to the law. Go to the moral law of God, summarized in the Ten Commandments as the law that is An eternal law, a representation of the character and the justice of God. Have you gone before the law and gotten the report that you have disobeyed, that you have broken God's law, you stand under condemnation? Will you receive a ministry of righteousness that far exceeds that ministry in glory? You can receive this when you trust in Christ as the Holy Spirit works in your hearts to show you Jesus Christ. And then finally, we have a permanent ministry in verses 10 through 11. Paul says, Indeed, in this case, what once had glory has come to have no glory at all because of the glory of God that surpasses it. The glory of the Old Covenant, which remember is not the same as the Old Testament, the glory of the Old Covenant once had glory, but now has no glory at all because of the glory that surpasses it. Uh, Maybe this analogy will help. I don't know. But picture yourself walking at night in the dark on the street. You're lost and you have no idea where you're going. And then as you look up ahead, you see that there's a street light on. And so you get to that street light and you are thankful. Glorious street lamp. (laughs) Glorious light. You are thankful for the light. Because now you see at the corner, here's the road that you need to go on. Here's the road that you've been on. Now you know where you've been. But when the sun rises and comes up, let's say it's not one of those street lamps these days that automatically turns off with the light sensor, but the street lamp stays on. It's still shining. But now that the sun has risen and now it's midday, You no longer need the light. It's still shining just as much. It's still equally glorious. But you're not using it. Because the greater light has come that surpasses it. That's the comparison that Paul is making here. The old covenant has no glory at all because of the glory that surpasses it. Now, we are still, as Christians, under the law of God as a guide and as something that reveals our sin to us. That law, as as I said, is summarized by the Ten Commandments. We call that the moral law of God. But the Old Covenant is not the moral law of God. The Old Covenant are the ceremonial laws and the civil laws, you know... Executing all these different people for doing all these different things. That's a civil law. Ceremonial laws are like, don't eat shellfish. Right? We're not under those laws. Those laws have glory. They can teach us things. They, they teach us things about purity, about how you're to live all of your life. You should, you should think about what you eat. You should eat to the glory of God. God cares about how you eat to his glory. So, The laws about shellfish and lobster, they they have something to say to Christians. We can't ignore Leviticus. But we are not under those laws. Christ has come to fulfill them. And now we live under the new covenant. But if you appreciate the glory of the old covenant, you have a greater appreciation for the new covenant. So, the old covenant, he emphasizes here in these verses, has been brought to an end. Verse 11. The new covenant is a permanent ministry. The glory of the old covenant, he says, is as if it has no glory at all. Because something more valuable has come on the scene. So, think again about the. Jewels that you're looking at. You look at something even more valuable, so you you drop the old covenant and you want to stare at Christ. Something more valuable has come along. What would make you pass up 40 days in the presence of God on top of Mount Sinai? What would make you pass up 40 days seeing the heavenly tabernacle? What would make you pass up an experience that would leave you glowing with bright rays? Only something far more glorious, which is the new covenant. And Peter say the angels longed to look into the new covenant, the work of Christ. Even the angels envy people like us who get the spirit and get to see Christ because the old covenant was temporary, brought to an end, but this is permanent. It's permanent in a few ways. One way is that you will never lose this sight of the presence of God. If you are in the new covenant, truly, then you're always in the new covenant. In the old covenant, you could fall under the condemnation and the curse, and you'd be destroyed. But in the new covenant, God always keeps his people. And so you will permanently be in the new covenant. That's one way that it's permanent. Another way it's permanent is that you constantly have access to the glory of God. You get to see Christ. And you don't have to go to a temple. You don't have to go to the tabernacle, and you don't have to go up Mount Sinai. You get to see the glory of Christ all day, any day. The glory of Christ permanently shines before us if we would only go to access it. One thing, you ask, one thing you seek, to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord. And you don't have to be in his temple. You can gaze upon the beauty of the Lord today, tonight, tomorrow, whenever you want. The new covenant is permanent because the Spirit is within you. God lives within you. The Holy Spirit is God. And so you don't get to just see with eyes a visible glory of God. You get God, the third person of the Trinity, dwelling in you. And he dwells in you forever. And then the last way that it's permanent is that we have eternity. We have eternal life. And what is our eternity going to be like? We know that we will gaze upon the king and his beauty face to face. We will see Jesus face to face. And we know that Revelation tells us that there will be no sun in the new heavens and new earth because the lamb will be there. And the glory of God will give it light. There will be such a glory that will far surpass any physical light that can be created on, in this world. More glorious than the physical sun will be the glory of God. And you will get to see God face to face every day forever. And I wonder, I wonder if our faces will glow in the new heavens and new earth. Walk around beaming, literally. Because every day we get to be in the presence of Jesus Christ and all his glory. So, do you see the greater glory that you have in the new covenant. It's a ministry of the spirit, not of death. It's the ministry of righteousness, not of condemnation. And it's a permanent ministry, it's not temporary. Since you have such a hope, do not lose heart. Don't lose heart because of all the stuff that's happened last week. Don't lose heart with all the stuff that's going to happen this coming week, remember you have such a hope because you have the Holy Spirit who shows you the glory of Christ. What else could you ask for? Let's pray. Lord, we think of the words of that hymn. Weak is the effort of our heart, and cold our warmest thought. How little we see of your glory. How little praise we give you of what you deserve. How easy it is for us to have our minds, the eyes of our hearts taken upon you and the beauty of your holiness. Thank you for your promise of giving us your spirit. Thank you for the promise of one day beholding you face to face. One day we will see you as you are and give you praise as we ought. And so we pray, Lord, for your Holy Spirit to help us Help us to remove every sin that easily entangles us, that we may run the race looking upward to Jesus Christ. And we ask in his name, amen.